I am just like J.B. Smoove in those Caesars commercials that are everywhere right now. When it comes to the Mannings, Cooper is my favorite. Now, nothing but respect and admiration for his legendary father, his two younger superstar brothers, but I've always admired Cooper, his outlook on life, the way he has shown acceptance without lingering anger or resentment of a diagnosis that ended his football career before it began at Ole Miss, spinal stenosis forcing him to pivot, to change his expected life path, to reinvent himself. And we talk all about that. I also like that Cooper doesn't take himself too seriously. There are great stories about growing up Manning, the volatile full house in New Orleans with three very competitive brothers. But I also like how Cooper is maintaining the Manning tradition, a family that's loving and supportive, but also gives you the space to find your own way, which Cooper is doing now as the dad of the next generation Manning star quarterback. Well, Cooper, it's good to see you. Thanks for taking time. We were talking the other day offline. We were involved in a radio show. We were both very young, long ago, Mysterious Origins. Remember, remember not very well by either one of us, but I do remember we did a radio show. You were fresh out of Ole Miss. You'd been a broadcast major, right? And there you are on the air in New Orleans, and we're doing a radio show about football. Beyond that, it's all gray area for me. <laughs> I remember this vaguely, Chris. I know I was fresh in New Orleans and out of school, and then there was a kind of a local um, legend, Buddy Delaberto, who had massive following on WWL 870, the clear channel, 50,000-watt giant. You could listen to it in Michigan on a – you know, on a cool night, and he had had a heart attack, and so they said, oh, Cooper's in, it was a broadcast guy, he can host a radio show, and they said, if you host a radio show, I had not hosted anything, I barely knew how to, you know, where the microphone was, and and they said, oh, you'll be hosting a couple nights, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, from 8 to 10, call-in show, whatever you want to do, and I remember you were a hero of mine from Scholastic Sports America days, so I said, <laughs> why not reach out to Chris, see if he'll join the chaos and uh, I appreciate you bailing me out because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Well, you're a young kid in a room and it, doing a radio show is a weird sensation. You're alone in this room, maybe one guy there, you get a microphone, but 50,000 watts heard everywhere and you're, you're sitting in for a legend. You don't know what you're doing and they say you can do whatever you want, but those shows can feel long and scary if you don't have a clue. <laughs> it's very lonely and especially uh, if you say something that you think is kind of funny and it's just like, <laughs> did this work? I remember I even got my dad to come on as a guest and I was like, uh, he even came physically down to the station and we're talking and I was like, dad, I appreciate being on. I thought you would have worn a shirt tonight and it's a little, you're a little casual. And he's like, you know, he's just nodding. I'm like expecting people to laugh and no one laughs. And he's like, I'm not wearing a shirt. I'm wearing a shirt. You know, it's just, you know, so anyway, you can definitely uh, feel like you're throwing, you know, no hitter out there. It's lonely. That's funny. Well, you've done a number of different media things which we can get to, but you're everywhere along with your brothers and your dad on these, uh, these Caesars spots, which you, you cannot turn a TV on without seeing Caesars. And it, it's because it's, you know, sports betting is exploding a lot of places. We just see them a lot here in the New York area. Next question. Archie, is this your first meeting with Caesar and Cleopatra? We met in Miami in 2007. Ah, the helmet catch. Right, you that? Actually, that was 2008 in Phoenix. Miami was Peyton's first Super Bowl. Also great, but not as great as the helmet catch. I would have hit him in the numbers, probably. Who cares? We're all Caesars. Am I right? Even Cooper. He's my favorite. <laughs> Happy holidays, everyone. Nice. Nice. We are all Caesars, and the Mannings are also Caesars. Those look like fun experiences. If you've shot commercials, sometimes they're not fun, but, but J.B. Smoove, Academy Award winner Halle Berry, you're sitting there around this room. Take us through the, how those were created and how fun they were. Well, Chris, first of all, we are all Caesars. I think that's <laughs> yes. fair to say, out of the <laughs> gates. Um, you know, I think this thing had been in the works for a while. I was probably, as always, kind of the last guy to find out. You know, Peyton and he probably running the show, and Dad's like, all right, we got to go to Vegas, shoot some Caesars commercials, jump on, and, and um, the, the, the shooting of this was in Las Vegas. As a matter of fact, we got dressed. Our dressing room was the room from Rain Man where Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman were, you know, were hanging out. So it was a lot of nostalgia there. And I'm a movie buff, so I was kind of appreciated the, the historical references there. But um, it was so loose. Like, I had no lines for any of this. And, um, and JB, I had worked with him one other time. He had come on the Manning Hour one time. And we had, again no script for him. You just, 
you just give him a general theme of what to do. And he is so clever and so fun. And we just hit it off and just started. And the cameras just roll and the, and the directors were kind of like, you know, JB will get going. And if you feel a direction, just send him that way and he'll go that way and we'll document everything. And it'll all, you know, it'll all shake out pretty in the end. But it was a lot of fun. I'm not sure. A lot of people still don't know that was Halle Berry. They're like, that was a pretty woman right there. You know, who, what? And I'm like, How? They go, oh, and I don't think my dad knew who it was till about three fourths through. I'm like, dad, that's, you know, like, oh yeah. She, yeah. I didn't know the first time I watched the spots. She doesn't have a lot of lines. She basically just kind of looks annoyed at, at JB Smooth. But, but that, what a process though, man, to have no lines, to just riff and then, I don't know how long the camera's rolling, but you got to get this thing down to a 30 second commercial. They're so tightly edited and you got all this material. How, how did you talk your way into getting some lines? Cause you, when you, you sh you're going to go to Vegas when you're just going to be background while your brothers are talking and your dad's talking. I mean, come on. I know. A couple of guys, you know, play with the, play with the glasses, look at the glasses. And during any time of break, I would always just ask JB stuff you know, or just comment on things and try to make him laugh a little bit. And finally out of the blue, he starts talking about, Oh, you know, you're my, you know, you're my, you look fabulous. You know, he kept on saying, look fabulous. And it started, I'm like, I had, but at the end, I swear we got done. I didn't think there was any way. I thought I was just going to be kind of a, you know, the third brother, just a pud, you know, I figured I'd wear a coat and tie, probably look a little bit better than everyone else. But uh, he, uh, he has definitely uh, helped my uh, name recognition on, especially during these football games, because it's that, that, that commercial runs a lot. Well, he calls you, you're my favorite Manning. And you, you are mine too, because you are known as the fun one and, and, and you, you don't take yourself all that seriously. And I think people connect with certain parts of your story, but I, were you always quote the fun one growing up? I think I was, I mean, my dad always says they found me on the doorstep. So, um, yeah, I always like to just, <laughs> I don't know, kind of take it the easy way and have fun and grass is green right where I am. And Peyton was a little, you know, wired a little differently and we, um, were, uh, you know, kind of combative and fought a little bit. And then Eli was just so laid back and didn't care about anything. It was kind of, and I think my parents did a really good job of like not trying to make either one of us or anybody any certain way. Like that's the way he is. Let him roll. You know, they're having people over for cocktails one night. They're like, bring in the entertainment. Here comes cook, you know, and it, you know, dance for us young boy you know it was like that sort of deal so you had a lot of time to perform i'm sure the guests thought it was horrible and boring and who is this kid but your parent, parents were kind of proud of of how everybody was wired differently and and, and uh embraced that so it's kind of worked uh, i can relate to that i was trotted at a cocktail party i did, i certainly didn't didn't sing or dance but i i was asked to recite certain things my, my dad was a theater director and they were both in the arts so I, I had some of that and i was asked to perform in front of guests and you know pretty mortified. I could do it as a young kid. Then I got very shy, probably traumatized subconsciously about <laughs> doing that. <laughs> but I can, your, your dad had the video camera out. It seems like for everything. I mean, in the book of Manning, it's a great documentary. There's all these home movies, which are really cool to have, but was he just you know, doing everything you guys were as a family? He's got a recording of it. I guess it was such a new technology at the time. And, you know, I think he always really prided himself on you know, spending time with us. He's playing football, et cetera. But so time outside of that was in the yard, shooting hoops, playing football. But Peyton still, you know, that documentary, Peyton complains about it. He's like, look, there's Cook. He's six. I'm four. He's <laughs> kicking me in the stomach. But no, Dad, make sure you don't, don't check on the young boy. Just document this in case it's ever, you know, going to be a – these boys turn out to be quarterbacks. If people want to, you know, see it and read about it, don't – don't come tend to your child. So that thing weighed about 200 pounds. It was that you actually had, it was like carrying a full VHS machine and the camera. So, uh, Oh yeah, it's amazing. That's funny. Archie, the documenter, he, he'd be the guy that like is is uh, got his phone out while a building is burning and is not calling nine one one. He's just capturing the video. <laughs> I, I'm impressing you how to do. It. I mean, right now, still, it's like he barely knows how to you know press send. On, we taught him how to text message, and now the emojis <laughs> are his favorite thing. But he's he's not exactly technologically advanced, so I'm glad he was able to document that because it is you know it's funny. Also, I'll see people in an airport. You know, I'll be the middle in Philadelphia. The guy come in and go, oh, I saw that documentary. I was, you know, I was in that. I was playing against y'all in that two on two game. I lived down the block. I mean, it just we um, we had a good neighborhood of football and dad got it all all on tape.
That's awesome. We had an interesting neighborhood. I want to get to that in a minute. But the relationship between brothers, it's so close to me. I got a younger brother, Drew, who's two and a half years younger. I did an entire podcast on brotherly relationships, uh, the guys in Kings of Leon, uh, Patrick and John McEnroe. I just think that the way brothers interact, that the unique strength of the bond, the love, but also the ability to get under each other's skin and fight and claw, I, I think it's hard to understand if you didn't grow up around that. But that little documentary and the clips give a kind of a window into what you guys sort of were, were like growing up. It, it, it seemed like a handful there in New Orleans. I think, you know, I think it also depends on how close you are. Peyton and I are two years on the, on the dot. So when that means typically until you get to about a certain age, you're competitive, but the older brother's got an advantage. I mean, two years when you're 10 and eight is, is, is a big gap. So he was fiery, didn't like to lose. We played a lot of sports and competitive, and I didn't like to lose. And we just, it just never ended very pleasant. It was always, you know, <laughs> blood or crying or running in. And, and I know Peyton thinks in that, in that show that he was documented as just like this whiny baby, but really he is getting abused by, you know, an older brother, a couple years older than him. But um, it was a fun way to grow up. And Eli was later and kind of quiet. And I think, I think probably Peyton, beat up on Eli a little bit more, kind of trickle-down economics right there. Well, you, so, were, you were guilty of that, too. According to the documentary, you guys took turns getting to see who could make Eli cry first. We take a lot of credit for him playing all those games in a row. And, you know, it was funny this week, my son had his first MRI, just a little MRI, and he was complaining about it. And I called Eli, Eli said, he checked, he just did some medical deal. During his NFL career, he had 81 MRIs. So I'm like, Get ready. Here they come. I mean, nothing, you know, I think you wind up being okay, but, you know, it's part of the deal. Yeah, that's part of Eli's mythology. Never missed a game because how could he not be tough with you two guys, you know, you know, you know, beating up on him. By the way, tell your son to check out uh, his grandfather, your dad's records about playing, on, you know, the Gator Bowl with a broken left forearm. I mean, that was, that's when football was tough, man. I mean, you, the MRIs didn't exist and, and, the trainers would just like put a little duct tape and throw you back out in the field in those days. <laughs> I know. I think just that era is just, he also talks about, you know, at halftime, they're, they're, they're trying to wave the cigarette smoke away where you can see <laughs> what the second half plan was. I mean, look, different era. Oh, I know. You know? But growing up, I mean, obviously your dad in, in Mississippi and New Orleans, he was like Elvis. So you're growing up as the, the oldest son of, of Elvis, basically, that kind of fame and folklore, anything he did, it was pretty special, but then it got magnified and retold. And, and, and you know, what, what was that like? Everybody had a story about Archie, right? And so you, you, you either have to listen to it or get to listen to it or get tired of it or whatever your perspective is on that. Yeah, I guess the, um, it was always fun, you know, being the, the son of, of a quarterback, especially, moved, you know, New Orleans was kind of a new franchise and he was, the first pick and they weren't very good, but it was, you know, it wasn't, he signed a lot of autographs and he was kind to people. People were pretty kind to him. I think that's the one thing after all this is that he was well-liked. And so you were proud that he was your dad. And uh, he took us places we didn't need to go. I mean, we went to every Saturday practice. He would stick us with the, the trainers and, you know, we get taped and put pads on. I mean, probably, you know, in the world of the NFL today, you can't do. And then you go back to Mississippi and it was even more, you know, he was just, you know, kind of a legendary guy, but, um, but just a real humble guy and, and fun to be around and had great friends. And um, it, it was a, it was a lovely way to, to grow up. Yeah. And by all accounts, you guys talk about this, in the documentary, what a, what a caring, loving, present father uh, he, he was and how important that is. But when you're sort of following his path and you're playing football as Archie's kid, I mean, there was a pressure involved in that, right? Or, or did you manage to sort of uh, keep that out of the equation as much as you could? You know, he, he did a good job of just making sports fun. He thought, play everything, you know, play basketball, football, baseball. I don't play tennis, play golf. And then if you, you know, as it got a little, as we got older, he was really big on, if you want to do this more seriously, I'll help you, but you have to ask for the help. I'm not saying, all right, you better stay after and, you know, hit some more ground. I'll hit some more ground balls to you. It's like, dad, can you, can you throw me a couple more? Can you feed me while I'm shooting hoops? Can you, you know, hit me some fly balls? It was, you had to ask for it. And then, you know, you loved it. It was not, it would never seemed like work, but he would sometimes say, Hey, you know, I don't know if you're gifted enough to just 
kind of show up at the beginning and, you know, practice over, hit the road, you, you can have to do some extra work if you want to really do what you're saying. And so you kind of got the hint. I mean, I, we went on, we didn't go on a ton of fancy vacations or anything. We go down to Florida, you know, go down to Destin or maybe, you know, something involved with NFL. I always brought my cleats and brought my football. We got, we got our workouts in. It was just kind of part of the deal, but it wasn't a, a duty. It was just, it was just the way it was. It was fun. Growing up in that area, we've talked about this. The Garden District in New Orleans is one of the unique places on earth. I love New Orleans as a city. It's got a culture and a history unlike any place in America or, or the world. And the Garden District has these beautiful old homes that date back. And, and you guys are growing up there. Everybody knows where the Mannings live. But, but there's Anne Rice, you know, yeah. Vampire Chronicles, globally famous author. Uh, I'm a huge Nine Inch Nails fan. So Trent Reznor growing up uh, right, I think he was behind you guys. I mean, what an incredible neighborhood. I don't know how conscious you were as a kid of, of these kind of stars in very different arenas that were living right around you guys. Chris, the, the neighborhood changed a lot when those two uh, moved in. This was kind of a little old ladies touring the garden district, maybe a few <laughs> buses, and they you know tell a little story. And all of a sudden, I'm like, these aren't little old ladies walking by. These were people you know, dressed as vampires. And you had some uh, kind of some grungy looking metal heads going, do these people really care about this garden district architecture? So it was cool. It was added a whole new dimension to the, uh, to the garden district tours. But, you know, Peyton and I would always, we'd be out there in the front yard a lot throwing and they'd have these tours going. And, and every now and then we'd just say, all right, let's, let's give them a little something. And we'd, you know, start yelling at each other, then just get into a full wrestling match, just faking it. You know, I'm on there. Just people going, oh, uh, sir, can we get some uh, some help here? Just, oh, wait a minute. Wait, if you guys are putting on a show for I'm just imagining like these open air tour buses that are coming by. Is that what it is? Yes, exactly right. Just, you know, Garden <laughs> District tours come by and two kids, you know, screaming and yelling in the front yard. It was like, that's what, you know, that's what 15-year-old and 13-year-olds are supposed to do as opposed to, you know, short cheat in your bed. We're entertaining these, you know, poor souls that are walking by the street. That's funny. Did you ever wander down the block and, and knock on the vampire lady's door or were you ever curious about what, what her vibe was like? She was pretty, you know, she was pretty, uh, you didn't see her much. I went over there one time. Her, her son was a, a younger than me, but in, in, at Newman with me in, in school. And some girls were over there to kind of babysit. And we walked over there and well, we didn't last long. He said, go ahead and move on out. And I never saw Trent. Trent, I mean, I, he was there for several years. Um, but, uh, I mean, he little, his backyard backs up right. And you never us. heard you never heard Nine Inch Nails music or they were working through stuff coming through the walls or anything? I think he's got some pretty soundproof <laughs> system over there. It was, uh, And then, sure enough, he, he moves out and John Goodman, the actor, buys that house. So it went from... Uh, you know, a lot of characters. Garden District's a really cool place to grow up, fun. My parents lived in that house for 40 years and just sold it. And uh, and Peyton being kind of the nostalgia guy and gets you know gets caught up in everything, he said, all right, we got to all go back to New Orleans for one night before they move out and have a, you know, just, just the family, have dinner, spend the night there. He gets, you know, he soaks up everything, starts going through his old, you know, drawers and closets looking for, you know, just flashback material to talk about the good old days. And you're not that sentimental. You're just rolling your eyes as he's going through this, you know, I think Eli and I kind of look at each other. Like, Are you going to this? Okay, fine. I'll go to this. Just don't even, you know, <laughs> when you don't live in the same city, you try to just avoid any sort of like, it's not worth it. You know, it's too much trouble to get into a hoopla. About it. Let, let him, we'll, we'll have some fun with it. And just, uh, but it was fun. It was cool. It was great. And uh, you know, it was a house where all kids Kids ran. Mardi Gras was a big part of it. Huge backyard. So it was kind of Grand, Grand Central for uh, for a lot of teenage boys coming and going, swimming pool. Um, I think everybody probably did something for the first time in that backyard over on First Street. So it was, I'm trying to do the same thing. I, I woke up, you know, Sunday morning at my house and I'm like doing a, I usually do my body count by how many pairs of shoes are downstairs. I saw there are 14 shoes down there. I'm like, I got seven boys upstairs somewhere sleeping it's just it's just kind of the way it is and then it, i know it gets quiet quickly so i'm enjoying it while it's action-packed that's kind of cool you've recreated that i'm just imagining you know your, your, your childhood house during a mardi gras which um you, know, you get people doing stuff before they're legally allowed to do it but jazz fest <laughs> i mean i'm just what was it like to be a kid around around that household during mardi gras 
You on well, floats? You, you doing the whole parade thing? Are you? Yeah, we would, you know, okay, you know, even in in New Orleans in seventh grade at the school we went to at Newman is the first year you the whole grade rides in a float. So you learn how to ride in a float at a pretty early age, and then some people love it. I got friends who ride in four parades. I, you know, Peyton wants to ride a parade this year. It's like I'm thinking to ride a parade, throw some beads to my children, like. We can line it up. Here we go. Oh, but, come uh, on. I, I'm not a, I didn't grow up with that. I've done that. It's fun. Steve Walsh, the former Saints quarterback, we were on a float. I, it, was, it was a good time. I, I don't know, like four. Four is a bit much. Oh, but Yeah. People think of it as like being on stage at a concert. Like everybody's <laughs> just cheering and yelling for you. It's good for the ego. Some people need that. Um, Peyton obviously clearly still needs that. He wants to ride on a float. So uh, he'll, he'll, I'm sure he'll pack I mean, he'll probably get someone to send him, you know, 100 NFL balls. He'll sign them and be throwing them on Canal Street. They're trying to knock out windows. It'll be fun. Well, this summer you wear a mask. I, he, maybe he would make sure he's not unmasked yeah. and everybody knows who he is. I don't know. Yeah, he, he's, he's pretty good at Halloween. I think he loves it. He walks around and just wears a mask and, you know, no one ever knows. But I'll tell you, Chris, that, that's something about being in New Orleans and you kind of have a house. You just – you make friends. And it's like, hey, can we come over and, uh, you know, can we use your bathroom? Can we come get a beer? Can we – you know, and these are my 14 friends from Colorado, St. Louis, you know, Houston and Dallas. Can they come, right, come on in? And, and it's just kind of I've met so many people that were just in town that, you know, stumbled into our yard. And uh, you wind up sitting on the front porch or sitting on the stoop and just visiting and, and uh, you know, become friends forever. So, you know, open house you just you just kind of roll with it. Yeah, New Orleans is that kind of place. That's cool. Uh, Back to football. So now your your senior year at high school is Peyton's sophomore year. You're a receiver. You're already established guy on the team. Here comes younger brothers, already a pretty good quarterback. But talk about playing that year together in high school football. Because I've heard Peyton say that's his favorite year in football, and he's had some pretty good ones. I think it was really special for my parents too, both of us being there. And high school football is just so special and pure. I mean, you do something great and everybody's excited you do something wrong and you no know, one talks about it you know it's just kind of one of those things you drop the, the touchdown pass and you wide open in the game and you drop it everybody just it's not in the paper they're not on the coach they're not you know and so it's just uh it's still fun selfishly i love being you know friday nights right now we're we're in the thick of that but uh it was really fun playing with Peyton. we threw so much in the front yard and just had such a chemistry that to finally get to do it on friday night when it mattered when it counted was really fun. And it was kind of the era of when throwing the ball was still a little bit taboo. People were still kind of running and, you know, throwing eight times a game and we were throwing 25 or 30 and he was a sophomore. I think it's always kind of funny. I think some people were looking at my film as like, okay, this kid can, you know, play college football, but who is this little skinny sophomore (laughs) putting it right here every time? So I think, uh, it wasn't any question that Peyton was going to go on and do great things just by, by maybe scouting his older brother. You saw, a, you know, a 160 pound quarterback that had a lot of potential. The receiver quarterback relationship, the communications interesting on and off the field. What is the, the veteran receiver communication like with the, with the young first year starting quarterback who, who quarterbacks role obviously is to kind of run the show. Was it, was it peaceful, combative, feisty? Well, you know, as you know, Chris, receivers are open every time. So <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I don't think uh, he threw me a lot of footballs. And my dad, I mean, I think, you know, it was a way too many of a percentage of the of the routes going to me. I don't think my, my parents were kind of embarrassed walking by the parents of those other receivers who were just kind of catching a few. They were probably wide open and Peyton still throwing. I think a a couple can, me, can I get a break over here? I, I know he's your brother, but I'm right. I'm wide it open. Was, uh, it was, it was, it was just as fun as it can be. And, uh, you know, as a, you kind of have to, you kind of have to step back and say, all right, you're the quarterback, you know, it's your show. You can't be running the show as a receiver. So I think in some ways, even now, while I am the older brother of Peyton, we are far more, I mean, it may have been reversed or definitely more peers than I go, you know, it's kind of hard. To, he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, take, you know, I guess, uh, older, too old. <laughs> he doesn't take my advice very well. Unless, <laughs> unless asking for it. Let's put it that way. I, I know exactly what you, you're, you're being careful in saying it, but I know, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. 
Look, but it, it does, yeah. it shifts as you get older. I mean, I, my brother and I are both in our, our 50s. I'm in my late 50s. And yes, there's, I, don't, I, won't, I wouldn't want advice from him too often. I think he, he's wiser in some areas. He could give it, but it's just not, not in, the, in our relationship that he would do that much. Yeah, the, the really the one spot Peyton does lean on me, and I'm, I'm grateful for this because I love it, is when he's doing comedy. Uh, this this past weekend, he was supposed to be on. He's on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, and he said, "We read this and tell me, you know, because sometimes he doesn't even always get it." And I'm like, "Yeah, if you would do it, you know, we could talk about it." And I guess sometimes when it's uh, you know on a on a close uh, you know a close call or down to the wire, he'll lean on me, and I can either say, "I, I don't think I'd do this." And I think he does actually value my opinion, but uh, that's that's probably as, as qualified as I get. No, you guys seem like natural performers. Peyton, Peyton shocks people when he get out there and be pretty uninhibited and commit fully and start dancing and doing stuff, that, or or firing a football off a kid's head in, in, in a skit. I mean, was that just something that was innate with you guys to sort of, I don't know, be free to try to be funny or, or take a risk or be performers? You know, Chris, I think we were the oldest two grandchildren. So I'm the oldest, Peyton, second oldest. So we always, I think, had a pretty big audience. My parents on the couch, my grandparents there, aunts and uncles who didn't have children yet. So we're, you know, surrounded by a bunch of people saying, let's let's show us how you learn how to do a push-up, do the jump rope, do the pogo stick. We'll put you in a figure four leg lock. Just, you know, and then dance. Tons of music always on. Just dancing, you know, like John Travolta, Saturday Night Fever, show us your moves, show us your new move. Uh, Peyton was doing, he was showing off his three-step drop since he's been three years old. So I don't think being in front of a crowd, whether it be, you know, in Peyton's case, you know, a stadium full of people, much less an audience uh, was, was a big deal. And I think my dad also, he always kind of, he did a lot of public speaking after, after uh, football and even during. So he always kind of made a big deal. Like, it's really good if you can talk in front of an audience and be comfortable. We kind of wanted that to be something that came naturally to us and kind of, you know, pushed us toward that a little bit. If there was ever a chance to accept an award, don't just get up there and, you know, thank you. It's great to be here. Really, you know, use it as a time to kind of practice and hone your skills. So, um, no, Peyton's really, I mean, he is, he is super comfortable. And I've done some public speaking things with him. He's, he's excellent. He's excellent and prepared. And that's nothing. He can be prepared. He doesn't like a lot of, all right, let's see what happens, which I love. Just, you know, fire away. I did a deal with Kirk Herbstreet one time, and he goes, I was filling in for my dad. I go, how do you want to do this? He goes, Peyton likes everything scripted. And he goes, I don't like to do scripted. I go, I don't care what the questions are. Let's do it. And we had a blast. So it's just how you're wired. Yeah, I like the ad lib part. I remember that. Anything you do with Peyton, it's pretty well known. You're not you're not supposed to go off the page too much. He wants to know what's coming, what the play call is, structure, and so you you get that message if you're going to work. I, I like the I like the wing it a lot better. It's a lot more fun. Yeah, we I, I do some mod, some do the moderator for him sometimes on some corporate speaking sometimes, and I love just every now and then just pull one out, and he's like, <laughs> "That's not on the script." You know, like, no, it was on my script. I don't know. So anyway. Yeah, we, I, I saw Eli's show and you went on there and roasted him for, for being unqualified to be a talk show host. I thought that was funny because I guess unlike you guys, public speaking didn't quite come as naturally to him. Eli was so shy. I don't think he spoke till he was like six. I don't think he went outside till he was like 10. He was just, you know, being five years younger. And we just, he was just kind of sheltered. So it has been such a phenomenon to see him so comfortable on the Monday night football gig and just sit back there and kind of let it come to him. And Peyton's going hundred miles an hour and him just picking his spots to make fun of him. Um, he is, uh, I love seeing how comfortable he is in his own skin and he's always been comfortable. It's just, he's just been comfortable saying nothing. So now he's got some stuff to say which is, uh, I love seeing him succeed, you know, kind of outside of football. Of course, Eli went to Ole Miss. You did too. And, and you know, and following your dad's footsteps and, and going to that school and, and, and taking all that on, I mean, I, I'm sure you grew up loving Ole Miss, but what was the recruitment process? What was your selection process like? Because people don't realize this. When, when Archie went to Ole Miss, he didn't get a whole lot of offers. They sent a graduate assistant, as the as the legend has it, down to sign him. Not even the head coach. And he shows up in Oxford. He's like, so there's like six quarterbacks or seven quarterbacks on the roster, and he's grinding away in the freshman team, getting destroyed. So, what was it like for for you to you know get recruited by by the Rebels? 
Well, yeah, I'd have grown up going to Oxford a bunch and going to the Grove and just being fond of, of, of Ole Miss. And, and then, you know, it was my parents both. And my mom was a homecoming queen. Dad was kind of the star quarterback. So the, just the, the times there, the fun, and all their friends were, were Ole Miss folks. So it was, it was kind of something you talked about on those road trips to Oxford, five hours back in the day, they had this, and it just it seemed like a great place to be. And Oxford's a wonderful town. But uh, they came and offered me out of the gates. Billy Brewer was the head coach and was one of the first offers I ever got. And they stuck with me. And uh, I had some other – opportunities to go to Virginia and Texas. It wasn't hugely recruited, but um, it was a it was a great fit for me. And um, I love Oxford, still have a place there. We'll always have a, a special place in my heart. You can, you can kind of separate the two sometimes, Chris, as you know, you can love Ole Miss and then love Oxford. And not, you don't have to love them both to enjoy both of them. Well, I love Oxford, that's for sure. And, and being in the Grove is one of the great experiences you can have as a sports fan. You don't even have to be a college football fan or, or even know what football is, but just being there and, and taking that in is, is really cool. But obviously you're, you're set to go there, Cooper, and you get the diagnosis after a process where you're trying to figure out what's going on, right, with your, with your arm and, and, and your dad is increasingly concerned. And, and take us through that when, when um, you finally arrive at a, a diagnosis of spinal stenosis before you even get to Ole Miss to play a freshman season and, 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 and how tough that was. It was challenging because you go, you know, you're still an athlete. You're up at, you're up at Ole Miss. You go through two a days. You're, you're practicing. All your friends are in the locker room and in the athletic dorm. They're on the team. And all of a sudden my fingers weren't, they were kind of numb and it wasn't working and just didn't feel right as a receiver. I wasn't catching the ball like I'd want to. And the, the head athletic trainer said, something doesn't match up here. Let's go. Let's go see some folks. It started go went to the Mayo Clinic, went out to, to Baylor uh, to, to just get different diagnosis. And, and when it came to, they said, look, this is not good. You're, you're one hit away from, you know, being in a wheelchair. Football is the last thing you need to be doing. It, it's just heavy because you're, you're 18. You're, this is kind of what you got your heart set onto. You've worked so hard for it. All of a sudden they're just going to take it away. And you don't feel terrible, but they just say you can't play anymore. And that was, that was tough. You kind of had to, um, I don't know, reinvent yourself. Say, I got to find some other things I, I care about. I like about, I like to do because you're used to, you know, being the routine and having running and lifting and practice every day. It was, uh, that was, a, it was a challenge. I mean, they're experts, but still as a kid, it's hard to believe that. Wait a minute. I've taken a lot of hits in football. What do you mean? I, what do you mean? I'm a hit away. I, I've taken punishment. I, I'm a tough guy. And, and it doesn't seem real because you're, you're in the present, right? And you're not thinking about, the close calls you may have had before that you're thinking about what's taken away for you in the moment. And also you, you probably had your, your identity was probably tied up in, in football and being a football player. And that's what you thought your future was going to be right. And off to the NFL at some point. That's kind of the way, you know, most 18 year olds who go up to school do think. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was tough. My parents were great. Uh, I think it, I think it rocked Peyton a little bit. You know, he was, there he is in high school, 16, seeing his older brother and his teammate all of a sudden, you know, he, he's fine, but he's, he can't play anymore. I think kind of made him appreciate every play could be your last. And I think that's how we're doing it, you know, at home right now. He's, you got you to gotta have, have a few backup plans in your hip because this, this is a tough game. It doesn't last forever. And uh, shoot, uh, Chris, I did get to find out you, do, you can do a lot of things in college when you don't have to be at, at, <laughs> at the training room at seven getting taped up. You know, I, I, I utilized that time. I had a lot of fun. I went to – all these schools and went to go travel and see other friends that were at, you know, it's nothing to go see Georgia for a weekend and go to Tuscaloosa or go to Knoxville and got to see Peyton play at all kind of fun college sites. So I, I took advantage of it. I, uh, but I, I certainly missed not playing. One of the things I, I admire about you is the, just the notion of acceptance in life, acceptance of what the universe deals you that you can't control acceptance without, being bitter or angry about it or resentful about it because that's not true acceptance. I mean, how, how have you wrestled with that, Cooper? Obviously, you got two very famous brothers playing phenomenal careers. That was part of your identity too. I mean, how did you arrive at that, or was it just was it easy for you to accept that right away, the the way you did in adulthood? I think a couple things. I think my parents were uh, they were not super strict, but we were not allowed to complain. You know, it was not a place where you could just complain. You kind of whatever whatever happened was, was going to happen and, and you deal with it and you put a smile on your face, you make the best of it. And I think, um, I was certainly, um, 
I wouldn't say I was ever jealous of Peyton Eli's career, but I was certainly, I was envious they were getting to do it, but I was the biggest supporter of it. But I think it also stems from my parents doing a good job of not making any of us more important than the other. I mean, you know, hey, Peyton's going to play his game. Go, we want to go. And we were both biting our fingernails and, you know, and grinding it out and sad when we lost and thrilled and hugging when we won. So he did a, a really good job in a, in a, in a, in a, in a way that, it could very easily, you could have felt like, boy, this is, I'm kind of the third wheel here. This isn't, this isn't as fun as it should be. I was so a part of the whole situation. And uh, I mean, golly, I, I cried after some games. I didn't sleep after we lost the Super Bowl and, and didn't sleep and had more fun when we won one. So it was, uh, I just, uh, the way he handled that, it's given me a lot of lessons. I mean, now I'm in a situation now where, I've got one son getting way too much attention and the other ones are kind of, and you got to, it's, it's a delicate balance. I'm trying to make sure everybody knows that this is uh, everybody's even here. Yeah. It's easy to say you can't complain as a parent. That's a good lesson. And, and that's, you'd love your kids to, to listen to it, but this is not whining or complaining about some homework, right? This is something that's, that's bigger than that. How is that ability to sort of have acceptance and in such a dramatic way as a young person shaped you throughout life when you have the, the, the ups and downs and the, the obstacles that, uh, that are inevitably going to come up? Well, I just, I just have a pretty cheery disposition. I, I don't like being around a lot of seriousness. Maybe that's good or bad. I like the, the, the good stuff and um, I don't take myself too serious. I don't, I just, I just really, um, I feel pretty fortunate to be where I am. I mean, hey, it took one, there's one thing I can't do is play football. I get, I get calls all the time, Chris, from parents and kids who wind up, they look on the internet and I must be the first thing that shows up next to spinal stenosis. Because people get it and you don't, you're not necessarily, you know, hurting. You just say, hey, you got a little ding here and it shows you shouldn't play football anymore. And I get calls and I, I talk to tons of parents about, look, this is a chance for you to now do some things you probably never would ever think to do. You can, you know, I had a great, I had this, I had this mother call me about her son. He was a lineman in Ohio, big kid. And I uh, found out he can't play his senior year. He was, he was really struggling. They were, you know, crying. And I told him, look, he needs to try to do something else. Play the guitar, learn how to play golf, go out for the school play, just go do some crazy stuff. And they called me, they were crying and laughing because he had gone out for the men's volleyball team and he was terrible. And they were, <laughs> they were so excited that he was out there and they were laughing, but they were crying. And, and I, I've stayed in touch with a lot of kids and a lot of their parents that have gone through the same thing. And it's just, it's just the hand you're dealt. You can't do anything. And if you're going to dwell on it, you're going to bring yourself down and everybody else down. It's uh, I don't, have, I don't, I don't have time for that. You don't have time for that. It's time to move on and make the best of it and, and keep living life. Well, I think it's an awesome philosophy, sometimes easier said than done, but to be able to be a messenger to a lot of kids who don't know at that, at that moment what they're going to do, what their identity is, that's kind of neat, man. That's kind of neat to be able to use a platform. And, and uh, yes, your, your name does come up when you Google that. Um, and people perhaps are relieved to find that you're not struggling with paralysis or something else because it, it, that that can happen with, with that. And, and so I know you, uh, you wake up feeling lucky about your, your lot in life. I'm, I'm a lucky guy. I've got, I've got to do all kind of fun things and, um, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying every day. I really am. I'm, I'm excited to get to talk to you. Well, you, you're in the hotel business. The graduate hotels are just an awesome idea. I've stayed in a bunch of them around different college towns or themed to that school. Um, you, you go to, uh, the graduate in, in Eugene, Oregon, your room key might be Phil Knight's student ID. That's a, that's a cool little thing. And there's ducks all over the wall. But what a cool project. It, it, you can do all sorts of things in, in finance, which you've done, and investing in real estate. But when you get to do something like that, that that's connected to sports and, and has a, a unique personality, that's neat. You guys just keep building these hotels. Now it's in, it's in the UK as well, right? Oh, yeah. We're we're, you know, this is two SEC guys. I, my, my business partner, Ben Weppard, is just so smart and thoughtful and creative. And I think he thinks I am smart and 
creative and, and, and I'm not, but <laughs> as long as he thinks it, we're, we got a good relationship. We have these cool college towns and I love college towns. Nothing better in the world than going to a college town and finding out where's the best barbecue joint or where's the best place to get a cold beer or a, you know, or late night, you know, where does everybody go? I just, I just love all that. And so now to be able to create an element of hospitality in Chapel Hill and Oxford and Athens and Ann Arbor and Berkeley and Richmond and just uh, be a part of that is, is really fun. And then, and then to be creative, like we're doing something in Madison, Wisconsin, and all we do is start talking about, well, you know, back to school with Rodney Dangerfield was filmed in Madison. What, you know, my favorite quote in the world is, you know, look out for number one, but don't step in number two, by Thornton <laughs> Mellon. I mean, why is that, how in the world is that ever going to come in useful, come and play in a business meeting? And sure enough, with the graduate, everything's, everything's green light. That's cool. Yeah. College town, spending a lot of time there and, and liking to wander the campuses and maybe, uh, yeah, wander into a saloon or two. I mean, th those are fun environments to try to think about how can we do a property that, Wisconsin fans are connect with when, when you know what you could have jump around playing in the lobby I guess but I mean that's that's pretty cool that's different than hey let's make a generic business hotel attached to a conference center somewhere and, and Chris what I like about it more is that you know an opposing team can come to Indiana and appreciate the hotel in Bloomington if you're an Iowa fan and not feel like you're in you know Bart Starr's room. It's not in your face like repentance and posters. It's more storytelling and uh, and cool stories that are layered into that community, into that college. And so I love that they stay at one and they want to go to stay at the other one. So it's really a really fun project. Creative people, smart people. I'm, uh, I'm kind of tickled to be a part of it. You mentioned your son, Arch, named for your dad, which I think is cool, unless there are other Archies before him and the family. You know, being a quarterback, he's still got another year of high school, but the recruiting is is pretty crazy. It's pretty insane. I maybe even to the level that Peyton experienced or more. I mean, what's it like, you know, being a dad and trying to guide him through that as best you can? Uh, it's yeah. Everything starts so early now, Chris. I mean, I don't. You know, Peyton probably didn't get his first letter until he was, you know, maybe a sophomore or junior. And then you you know you're filling out your height and weight. Now everything with social media and internet and just. Um, it just gets accelerated. So, uh, and he got off to a fast start getting a play as a freshman. So now it's even, I mean, people are going to be like, no, what? He, he's not, he can't be a senior. He's been playing for seven years by now. It seems like he's, you know, it's going to last forever. Um, but he's getting a lot of attention, but it, I think he's handling it really well. Arch is a sweet kid and got a good, good head on his shoulders and loves his friends and loves his teammates. And, and uh, I think he's real, I get, I get nice, you know, with, I told Arch a long time ago, you're going to you're going to get a lot of attention both ways. And so if you can utilize this platform to be kind to people, you're going to get a lot of credit for it. And I get a lot of people who say, oh, you know, Arch was over, came over, introduced himself. He's nice to my, you know, son who's in eighth grade. And so I think he's got a good, uh, yeah, he's a good person. And I think uh, we'll, we'll see how the football works out. But he's kind of trying to enjoy the process. Yeah, what, something else that's changed in the last few years is college athletes being paid for name, image, and likeness. And some have played the game very well, and so, some guys are able to take care of their families while they were in college. They don't have to wait for a pro contract, which is awesome, and many people think it's long overdue the players sharing it. But at the upper end of it, man, it's pretty crazy. There's, there's a website that estimates the NIL value of prospects, guys who haven't even signed yet. Your son is right there with a, a NIL valuation of 1.6 million i mean are you aware of that did you see that <laughs> what's your thoughts about that i mean I, I think that's i think i don't know who came up with that number i'm sure it's some <laughs> 25 year old recruiting coordinator who goes oh let's throw a number it. It's like, i don't really any of that means you know squat so look we're just we're just trying to you know pass chemistry and uh keep them out of the you know, keep them out of jail during Mardi Gras. Those are our two goals in life right now. Well, I know as a parent, you want to be grounded. But listen, as a young football player these days, I mean, it's certainly a part of the recruitment process. It's a part of the transfer portal process. I mean, you're very aware of what's going on in the sport. And it's just a whole other world. I mean, it's layers that folks in your era and certainly not your dad's era had ever had to deal with that are now a part of being a sought-after prospect in a college football environment now 
Yeah, the, the whole the whole game of uh, college football seems to have changed in the last three or four months, just with the, uh, the coaches moving around a lot, a lot more frequently, um, and then the, the element of these big signing bonuses and classes and recruiting and people moving around. Not a lot of no one, no one sits around and says, "I'm gonna be a backup. I'm gonna, I'm gonna work for it for two or three years." Everybody's on to the next thing. So um, we're trying to just keep it. We're trying to do the things probably a little bit like they used to be done back in, you know, I don't know, 15 years ago. Just try to, you know, go pick a school that you like, the coaches that you like, a place you think you'd be happy if you weren't playing football and get a good education, make friends and 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 uh, and try your best. So I know that sounds kind of simple and how do you duty, but uh, I think sometimes people can get a little ahead of themselves and we're just, you know, these are 18-year-old boys that you're trying to just – uh, turn into men, and uh, I think whoever uh, can do that the best is probably going to get the guy. I think being grounded is is almost essential given the environment. I mean, your dad being an Ole Miss legend, that's where you chose. You said it was a pretty simple choice. Then your dad takes a lot of crap when Peyton doesn't go to Ole Miss and goes to another SEC school. I mean, it was, we won't even joke about it. it was some, there was some, some serious ugliness that we don't have to get into. Then Eli goes to Ole Miss, and, every, and all is right in the world. But now people are expecting Arch to you – know, it, it's, it's just there's a lot of family history, a lot, of, a lot of stuff in there that if you allowed it, if he allowed it, could, could make the process fraught, right, pressurized. I think so if you really get into that. But I think – you know, I'm trying to raise children to make decisions that are best for themselves. And I mean, I, I don't, I don't know where he's going. I don't really care. I just think, he, you know, uh, I think he'll, I want him to make a decision and live with it. And it's not going to be easy. All these places you go, whether you're playing sports or not, you have, you know, I don't like my chemistry teacher and he doesn't, I've got to see, I go, Hey, deal with it. Go, you know, this is, this is, I like to try to, think I'm going to make these kids tough and resilient and, and deal with uh, the hiccups and the curveballs and, and the speed bumps that come along the way. And, and football has more of them than any of them. So um, he'll, he'll figure it out, do the deal, do the due diligence. We're just trying to guide him along the process and we'll cheer for him and, and, uh, and pick him up when things don't go right. Perfectly said. You want to give seminars to other parents who have hot prospects because that is that is the best way to do it. The no complaining family motto seems to be getting passed down to another generation by you. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I was like that even in business. If I don't mind a complaint, but let's have a solution. Don't just come in and say, you know, so and so's. I just don't have I don't have time for that sort of nonsense. If you got if you got it all fixed up before you're gonna, you know, something's broken and we're gonna get it fixed. Great. But don't just tell me it's broken. You know, come fix this. It doesn't work. It's just too tight. I don't know. You know, I don't have, I don't have time for that nonsense. So well, it's one thing in high school. I wonder how you're going to handle being you know, a parent when he does go off to college. You, you seem to be pretty chilled. But you said you were you were invested, heavily invested in your brother's careers. I'm sure, you know, being a parent's like another level. But uh, but that, that'll be another interesting experience for you, you know. Yeah, I wish I could have the temperament of my my mother. It's just the coolest of all. I mean, she's, I mean, she's been to six Super Bowls and countless horrible baseball tournaments in <laughs> crappy towns across the country. And you know, win, lose, or draw, she just kind of always had the right perspective. Dad is over there with bloody fingernails, you know, pacing giant stadium looking for a lucky spot next to a hot dog vendor that they've got a first down. So he's going to stay there a little longer. So I'm hoping I can get somewhere in between there and have a little bit of balance. I, I'm a little animated at times. Uh, and uh, so I'm trying to figure it out as the stakes get higher. We'll leave it with football. You talked about you know, what it meant to you. And I, I know you've spoken about what you, what you missed when you weren't able to play, but, but what is it about the game and the relationships and the bonds that are formed because of the challenges and the obstacles that, that you think is special, that you, you witnessed firsthand as a player, as a brother, and, and now as a parent? What is it about the game? Chris, I think I even saw a lot of that back at the, at the Hall of Fame this, this summer in Canton. You know, you could see Peyton, see these guys who, you know, certainly I got to know the Marvin Harrisons and the Reggie Waynes. And then you see guys he played against there, Ray Lewis. I got to go to some Pro Bowls. Peyton and Eli were kind enough to always kind of have me in the loop. And uh, they all just, they all had to sacrifice. You know, you skip a lot of fun things in college and pro to, 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 to get there to the highest level. 
the uh, the extra work, the stuff you do when no one's looking, and and just tough guys who were unselfish and uh, and loved the game and and loved each other. And you know, sometimes they got there, sometimes sometimes they won, sometimes they lost, but they they left it all out there. And I think that it's kind of a neat fraternity for uh, you know retired players to. Sure, it's fun to sit back there and listen to the the glory days and the great stories, but uh, I think it's a, a just a mutual respect for across the, you know, and they across the entire landscape of football players, whether it, your career ended in eighth grade or went to high school, whatever bus rides and homecoming and cheerleaders and the band. And it's just, a, it's just Americana and it's just a great thing to be a part of. And I, again, I, I suggest, I know football sometimes has had a few little hiccups lately on, on safety and concussions and what have you, but I, I'm a big advocate of everybody if their son is debating whether to go play football or not, I don't care if they play or not, but being a part of a team and practicing and sweating and two a days and getting yelled at and, uh, you know, and persevering is, is a part of, it's sometimes far more valuable than any touchdown or winning kick. It's, 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 uh, it helps you in the long run. We talked about the radio show at the top. Is there any creative outlet or, or, avenue which the the manning brothers performance skills could come to bear is it is it a three-man broadway show in the works is there yeah. you know a little singing and dancing and storytelling have you have you worked with any producers on some kind of project like that that could bring you guys together in that way yeah i think we're really working on like an oklahoma or a <laughs> pippin or joseph in the technicolor dream code i don't know if you can, can you can you get me in touch with someone on broadway i think i've got big plans for us three you know there's a lot of weird stuff getting pitched. I mean, we could just add that to the. <laughs> uh, I know. I, I got a lot of people asking when when I was going to be on the Monday night broadcast. I told them I was holding out for overtime every time, but it never <laughs> happened. So, um, you know, I think we're probably going to see some weird stuff. It's fun to entertain it. I think it's good for all of us to kind of stretch like your boundaries and do some things you're not supposed to, whether it's right or wrong. It's still, you know, sometimes. The, the things that go bad, Chris, as you know, are always the greatest story. No one wants to talk about the perfect weather and the <laughs> boat was on time. And, you know, I got just the right amount of sun before I got sunburned. They want to hear about the boat broke down, sunburned. Peyton and I got in a fight. The wives hate each other. The kids are crying. And, and you know, and we, had to, we had to land in Sacramento and stay there for eight hours. Those are the best stories. And that's another thing I really like about Cooper. He can always find the funny, something that a lot of us could do a little bit better job of. Speaking of funny, we'll keep an eye out for that Manning Brothers Broadway musical. Grateful to Cooper and to my co-executive producer, Jennifer Dempster, and to Jason Weichel for his editing skills. I'll talk to you soon.